As a film student, I'm your co-host Nick, and I'm your host Mon. And today is our、uh, what should we call it? Obligatory Tarantino episode. Yeah, I feel like we haven't actually had a Tarantino episode, despite the fact that our podcast is called As a Film Student. Like, you have to have a Tarantino episode to kind of marry. That kind of aspect to our podcast. We have to represent the subreddit r slash movie circle jerk just for a little <laughs> bit. So after this, we'll be doing a Denis Villeneuve one, and then we'll be doing a Christopher Nolan one. Please, for the love of God, that's the, both of those are jerks.、Oh、Don't、God. make me do、uh, those. <laughs> I, I swear to God, if anybody, if anybody put like a gun to my head and were like, "Hey, do a Christopher Nolan episode." I will generally just be like, just, 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 just pull the trigger. Just no, actually, weirdly enough, I might do Dunkirk, which is weird because that's also a World War Two film. Yeah, look, I will only do it for Harry Styles,、um, mm. but like at the same time, it's just I don't really know much about Tarantino, despite the fact that I love film and I'm a cinephile. But the thing is. Tarantino has been kind of corrupted for me because of all of the film bros that I've met in my life, and I feel like this episode is representation for the cishet white film bros out there. And I feel like you guys don't get enough representation in our podcasts, and you guys barely get any representation in any like you know media format. So oh my god, they're so starved. Like they're for so、attention. they're so starved for attention and for representation, and so we need to kind of give it to them. And I would really want. This platform to be a really safe space for all of these cishet, privileged white film bros, and this is for you. This is an episode for you guys because we love you guys. We love you. <laughs> so, I first of all, just gonna say that we chose a Tarantino episode. Well, I chose the Tarantino yeah, episode. I, mean, you, I kind of forced. You are the ter- you are you are our token white man. So token token white film bro. Yes. Yeah. Just because, in a nutshell, I'm a slut for him, but I'm not an uncritical slut for him. Like, here's here's my theory: how much of a slut you are for Tarantino can be measured by how much of Hateful Eight you skip on rewatch. <laughs> Just if you skip like a certain amount of、oh、Hateful Eight, you are a reasonable Tarantino fan.、So... If you sit through that whole movie on rewatch, you are insufferable. And you are a cuck. I I'm gonna be straight up honest with you. The first time I watched it, I barely paid attention to it, and so I was quite shocked when things happened. I didn't understand what was going on because I did not pay attention to the film. And it is one of the four only Tarantino films I've ever watched, which is very surprising. And I the time I rewatch I rewatched it, I actually just skipped like. How much of the film? One, like I skipped a lot of it. I just kind of skipped it every twenty minutes at this point. I was like, okay, which is my favorite part? Oh yes, this is my favorite part. Oh yes, this is my favorite part. And so I kind of ended up only watching the end of the Hateful Eight and nothing else. <laughs> Because I mean, isn't that the best part? I mean, the part with the the turtle and the head. That was gruesome. The turtle and the head. Was that the Hateful Eight? Yes. I don't think、was. you're talking about the Hateful Eight. What am I talking? <laughs> 
just eating the meat rice. Oh, wait, no. what? No, the turtle so. on the head. There's a turtle, and then there was a head on the turtle, and the head was um the guy from Spy Kids, and he plays the uncle. No, he plays one of the uncles in Spy Kids. Machete. Yes. You were talking about Breaking Bad, aren't you? Oh, is that Breaking? No, is that Breaking Bad? <laughs> well, there's a scene from Breaking Bad where there's a tortoise. And a guy's severed head on it. Oh, so it's Breaking Bad. <laughs> and I call myself well, a film It's possible student. that that's in other films, but I could, I could swear on my right ball sack that is not in The Hateful Eight. Unless I skip too much of it on Rewatch. I think I might have skipped too much of The Hateful Eight on Rewatch that I got it mixed up with, the, with Breaking Bad. And there is no connection between Breaking Bad and the hateful eight but for some reason my my my, i feel like i've got this really weird cognitive dissonance between tarantino because i just do not like i just cannot like watch his films without the fact that like i i am so spiteful as a person i do not want to watch any of the film bros favorite films i have not seen fight club i have not seen any of the kill bill trilogy it's not even a trilogy it's only two films (laughs) Yes, it's one film split into two. Yeah, and it's really funny because I always say Kill Bill as a trilogy to kind of piss people off on purpose, and it does actually piss a lot of people off, which is amazing, and I love that. But it really proves the fact that I'm spiteful as a person, and I will not watch a director or certain films because it will actually piss people off. And I love that. It's it's just, it's my character trait. <laughs> See, I'm the opposite. I watch things to piss people off. Like, I watched a Dune just to piss my brother off, so I knew exactly what to say to be annoying. <laughs> anyway, I've seen a lot of Tarantino because it's my he's my dad's favorite director, and you know how you you can really connect to people through film, and so. Mm-hmm. Not only is it, like, a film cuck thing, and I would probably enjoy Tarantino's work regardless, but there's a certain soft spot in my heart for Tarantino because there's that connection with my dad through it. Like, I took my dad on Father's Day to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is which was nice. It was a nice little experience, mm. despite the fact that it was a three-hour movie, and the climax is just... It takes so long for anything to happen really it does it's like it's his most self-indulgent because tarantino isn't in the business of making movies about things he makes movies about movies which brings us to today's topic which glorious bastards you could say that it's a movie about what i'm about to tell you it's about but it is a movie about film. Mm -hmm. the main operation is called operation kino which is just german for cinema Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting because, like, I think with Tarantino, like, I've never really had a connection with Tarantino because I grew up on, like, foreign films. I grew up on, like, Asian cinema and I grew up in weirdly French cinema. I don't know why, but apparently I watched a lot of French films growing up. But I grew up on, like, Stephen Chow and, like, Wong Kar Wai and all of those kind of, like, really cool Hong Kong cinemas. And, like, you know, Hong Kong filmmakers. And so I actually didn't really know Tarantino until I was like 
maybe 17. I only knew him because, okay, this is really weird. I only knew Tarantino existed because of this one episode on YouTube of epic rap battles of history. And there was an epic rap battles, um, epic rap battles of history um, dedicated to film directors. And I only knew that Quentin Tarantino was actually a person and a filmmaker because one of they made like a parody of Quentin Tarantino and he actually rapped about movies and I was like whoa this is really interesting I don't really know anything about this guy and then the next day I was at JB High Five and I was looking at the film the DVDs and stuff and I was like Kill Bill oh that's one of Quentin Tarantino's films cool and I never watched Kill Bill but that is my experience with Quentin Tarantino See, I reckon you'd like Kill Bill because it's about a girl killing Bill <laughs> and a bunch of other people. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. I just reckon you might like at least the first part. Mm. The second part's a bit self-indulgent. Mm. Anyway, Inglorious Bastards is an alternate history film set during World War II, focused on the stories of two different character groups and the antagonist that links them together, Colonel Hans Lander a high-ranking member of the SS tasked with finding and killing the remaining Jews in Nazi-occupied France. The first group of characters that we follow are the titular Bastards, led by Brad Pitt's Aldo Rohn. The Bastards are a small group of predominantly American Jewish soldiers intent on guerrilla warfare to put fear into the hearts of the Nazis. The second group of characters that we follow are Shoshana, Marcel, and Frederick Zola. Shoshana is a French Jew who narrowly survived her family's massacre at the hands of the primary antagonist Lander, and she now owns a relatively small cinema in France. Marcel is her projectionist and implied lover, whilst Frédéric Zola is the secondary antagonist, a German private who racked up 300 confirmed kills over three days and is being celebrated for it with a movie, and he becomes infatuated with Shoshana. The year is 1944. And the objective is the same as it ever was. Kill Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you actually summed up that that film perfectly, actually. I would have just been like, uh, Nazis suck. And Shoshana, girl bossing, cinephile, you know. I'm practicing because people keep asking me to explain Guy Ritchie films to, to them. So I'm starting by working up my way up the ladder with like, Simple stuff like Tarantino. Yeah. I'll explain a Tarantino film. Guy Ritchie, I can't explain that. I recently man. watched The Gentleman for the first Ooh, time. Did you like it? I've never seen a Guy Ritchie film ever. So that was my first ever Guy Ritchie film. Not gonna lie, it kind of reminds me of like Edgar Wright in a way, but also not at the same time because there's so many plot twists and so many things happening. And I had, it was, a, it was very hard to follow, but it's very enjoyable. So mm. I would like to watch more of Guy Ritchie's film. I actually thought Guy Ritchie was the singer, like the singer Guy Ritchie, not the filmmaker. So I always thought that the person that made the film was the singer Guy Ritchie. So I have never heard of a singer called Guy there's Ritchie. A guy, there's, a, there's a guy named Guy Ritchie who sings. And also another guy who makes movies. Anyways. Um, Anyways. Ingl- Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, so the thing about Tarantino is... And I can't believe we've gone almost 10 minutes without mentioning this. He has a foot fetish. Yeah, yeah. He has a it's, foot fetish. It's, it's, I mean, it's a given. I feel like everybody talks about it at this point. Like, it's kind of just, I don't know, normal. And I actually read a few articles online talking about how Tarantino actually doesn't really openly say that he has a foot fetish. But he's like, oh, you know, like, I only use the, like, the feet for aesthetic purposes. It's like 
every good filmmaker uses it, like Hitchcock or like Louis Bunnell or all of those filmmakers. Even like so- like Sofia Coppola also has a lot of feet shots as well. And he says it's a aesthetic purposes. But the thing is, he only has shots of women's feet and not really men's feet. Like apparently, I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs. I have. <laughs> and there's no feet pics, no no feet pics, no foot shots. In those, no, because in, in there's no women. There's no women, right? So obviously they're going to have men's feet. That's gross. That's gross. It's grotty. Okay. Yeah, he's got a full fetish. And you know what? I'm not going to king shame him. It's just feet. Like. Yeah, I I do like the way he admires them in a way. Like the in the in the shots that he incorporates into this film in particular. It's very delicate, and it actually is related to the plot, you know? It's like shoes uh, are really central to a major part of Hans Lander finding Bridget von Hammersmark. I forgot to mention Bridget von Hammersmark in the synopsis, fuck. It's okay. (laughs) Who who is a German spy who works with the bastards. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because, like, it is relevant to the plot and it isn't just used for a set purpose. It's, like, actually plot-driven. And I I liked that. That was actually really interesting. I wasn't weirded out either because it was only, like, one shot in the entire film and it wasn't, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where the entire film was just, like, Margot Robbie and her feet and her dirty, dirty feet, let me just tell you. Or, like, (laughs) Margaret Qualley's feet and her just putting it in the dashboard and that made me just, like, recoil inside. Because I hate looking at feet. Yeah. I actually, I'm going to say, I am a, I am podophobic. <laughs> podophobic? Oh my God, the podcast is scaring them. No. <laughs> but it's like, no, because like the, 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 um, for people who love feet, they're called podophiles, which is, <laughs> that's very close to else. <laughs> You've really got to enunciate, enunciate that correctly. Podophiles, pod. Pornophiles. Yeah, and <laughs> I get laughing at it. I don't know why, but um, yeah, pornophiles. Now this film, because it's done in Nazi Germany, there's a lot of Nazi imagery. Yes, yes. So, and it's really interesting because like with Inglorious Bastards, obviously it's a film about with a lot of Nazi imagery, and it is about Nazis. And obviously Nazis suck. They are horrible, horrible people. And it is also a very sensitive um, kind of topic for a lot of people. And so a lot of the marketing is actually really fascinating because nobody really wants, like, everybody wants to see a film about, you know, Americans killing Nazis because Nazis are horrible people, like I said before. But it's really fascinating because it was marketed about, it was marketed kind of around the violence of, like, the bastards and how they just kill Nazis, and that was just how they marketed. But then that, weirdly, in the film, that's only like one third of the entire movie that actually happens. That's because it was originally conceived to be about the bastards, but then Tarantino uh, came up with the end of the script, and he's like, well, who is Shoshana? I feel like there needs to be something more. I need to explore that character, which is why there's that big split. And honestly, if you've got Christoph Waltz in your movie, aren't you going to dedicate a shit ton of time to him as well? So that's kind of how that split occurred. Mm. And it's really interesting because um, apparently from what I've heard, 
he actually Quentin Tarantino actually made Christoph Waltz not tell anybody about his character, and so nobody really like, nobody really knew what character he was playing. So all of the genuine reactions were actually quite real and not fabricated. So that was something that really interesting about the film, and something that I don't you don't really see a lot of directors do is kind of really forge these kind of uh, emotions and these tensions between their actors to elicit like an emotional response which definitely you know comes across really clearly and coherently in in you know as a as a cinema as a cinema watcher Mm. fun fact uh, they actually did that as well on it the 2017 one uh yes where the kids were like kept away from pennywise and so their fear was like genuine yeah but yeah it's, it's really interesting how like um, he used Christopher Waltz. And Christopher Waltz, uh, he won an Oscar for his performance as Mr. Hans Lander, um, as he should, as he should. It was a very wonderful performance. But obviously people didn't really want to watch, you know, a movie about, you know, Shoshana or like a Nazi. Or And also majority of the film was actually like a foreign film. There was not much English being spoken in the film. The only English that was actually really spoken in the film was like during the bastards like when the bastards would speak to each other right so obviously nobody like americans especially don't really like watching films that have a lot of subtitles you know and so one of the marketing strategies that the weinstein company actually did was they would they actually rented an animated billboard at a ufc event and they placed it inside so like 11,000 attendees can actually watch the trailer for the film. And people didn't really know what the film was about. They just thought it was going to be violent, Tarantino. And so people kind of went on, like went in expecting that. But obviously it's not what they expected because the film was much more dense than that. That's really interesting because that is obviously speaking to that audience who goes to these movies not expecting a pastiche or mm-hmm. an homage to uh, World War II films, sort of tongue-in-cheek. They go into it actually wanting to seek that ultra-violence that Tarantino is known for, the, the just aggressive amounts of blood and gore and all that stuff that you get in the last, like, ten minutes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and all that. With Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I didn't really like it, but I loved the ending. Because I guess there's that weird fascination that we have with violence, I think, just as film watchers. And the fact that, like, we've seen so much violent films and violent media in general that we're kind of so desensitized towards it now. Like, I used to be so afraid of, like, looking at gory films. And now that as kind of a more experienced cinephile i'm very desensitized to a lot of the blood and gore on screen like you like you're watching like either john wick film or like any other kind of gory film you're just like yeah it's just a bunch of blood and guts and it's really like i watched squid game and there's heaps of blood and guts in that and i'm not even desensitized and i watched it with my like 12 year old sister and she and i was like that's blood and guts you shouldn't be watching that and she was like yeah but it's just fake like, it's all, like, CGI. And I was like, that's true, but it's still pretty bad. And she's like, yeah, but it, it's all fake. And I guess that's kind of how detached we are with kind of, you know, violence, especially violence on screen. Mm, yeah, we sort of get desensitized to that. And you can link that to the film as well. We also get desensitized to what actually occurred in Nazi Germany and what Tarantino is essentially doing is that he's putting the horror back into that. You see 
Well, you don't really see the massacre of Shoshana's uh, family. It's all under the floorboards. But you do see the bastards scalping Nazis, like actually scalping them. And the mm. the one Nazi that gets beaten in the head with a baseball bat, which is just... By the way, that's a line delivery that I love from Brad Pitt. But I think it's really interesting is the fact that, like, what comes with violence, especially with this film, is kind of the moral ambiguity that we have as a as cinema watchers. Is the fact that, like, we watch the film and we're like, yes, violence against Nazis is bad. It's justified because they are bad people. But in one of the moments in the film, American soldiers also get killed. And so, obviously, it isn't purely just like a, you know, kind of satisfying revenge watch against Nazis. It's like, you watch Nazis get killed, but you also see a lot of Americans get killed as well. And obviously, because of the fact that it kind of gets meshed in into this one movie, you don't, like, again, like, you don't feel much for it. Mm. You just kind of watch it, and it exists, and you're fine with it. And guess what? You actually enjoy it. And so it's just weird, gory porn that we just enjoy to watch. And I guess it's kind of like that weird, gratifying feeling of just seeing violence and knowing that it's not real. But it kind of satiates that that kind of feeling that we have inside us of, of kind of seeing death and destruction. Like It's like watching like a burning building and you, see, you have that morbid curiosity for it. But except with this one, it kind of is a movie, so everything's all yeah. fake. And, and, and to add on to the moral ambiguity, you also kind of need to make the distinction between conscripted German soldiers of the Nazi party and active subscribers to the Nazi ideology. And some people, obviously some people are completely, well, we all are completely products of the environment that we grew up in, so there's obviously a lot of Nazis. But you also see the humanity in some of the German soldiers, like Wilhelm, uh, the guy in the bar he had just become a father mm. he was just celebrating with his mates playing a old retro version of 20 questions basically like there's that humanity it's uh the the one remaining soldier from the first introductory scene of the bastards well the second introductory scene of the bastards i should say where brad pitt says what's the first thing you do when you get home and the guy says i'm going to hug my mother and he says I'm going to take this uniform off, I'm going to burn it. It's that thing of, like, not all of the Germans fighting in the war believed in that cause. They were following the law at the time, which was do this or you die. And obviously, we really respect and admire the ones who had the power and capability to stand up, to martyr themselves, and to say no, because they believed in what was morally right. They didn't subscribe to the Nazi ideology, and they were willing to die for that. But let's just admit that those people are braver than the vast majority of us. If we saw that happening, yeah, we would 100%. go along with it. So the people who the bastards killed, they're not all... Nazis. Some of them are just unfortunate soldiers fighting in a shit war for something they don't necessarily believe in and that they can get talked out of or like they can grow past. Exactly. And so like I guess that's very like kind of what we're feeling in terms of the relationship between Shushan and Zola. So Zola played by Daniel Brawl, who is amazing. Alzimo, Alzimo. I forgot who I when you said Zola, I I thought you meant like the the Nazi from the the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah, Frederick Zola. My man, 
Yeah, no, no. It's um, yeah, Frederick, my boy. Um, you know, Zemo and Zola. Um, but it's really interesting. Their relationship is actually very fascinating because it reminds me of that kind of that nice guy stereotype. You know, like he really likes her, and she's like, "Stay away from me, man. Like, I don't really like you." Like, and he makes all these advancements to her, and she's like, "Go away, go away." But basically, the relationship is the fact that she is a she basically disguises herself um, as Emmanuel. Emmanuel Mimu. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Right don't. Man. That's it. That's embarrassing. Damn. <laughs> I know Damn, this film. Dude. I don't Anyways, know French. Um, but um, Emmanuel. So she disguises herself as this just French cinema owner, and she loves like movies as well. And Zola also likes movies. And you know they see each other, and he's smitten with her, and he really likes her because she can also talk about Charlie Chaplin and he loves that because oh my god a girl that likes a film and understands it oh my god yes and it's really interesting because there's this point in the film which I really love and this is before the bastards come and attack the um, theater where Adolf Hitler and all the Nazis are are kind of watching um, the movie which is called nation's pride there's a moment where he follows her to the projector room and he wants to steal a kiss from her and she's just like nah fam i don't want that shit and it's very interesting to me because you know this movie was produced by the uh the uh, weinstein company and it's given me hashtag me too vibes because of the fact that you know we all know the allegations against Harvey Weinstein and that he is a allegedly a serial rapist and you know it's funny to see how that's mirrored kind of right now where he is being very uh, forward with his advances and yet there's a sort of tragedy within kind of her story because you know, she knows that he is a German soldier and he believes in the Nazi principles. And he actually, he's not just a German soldier, he's a German war, like a war hero. And the film is actually about him and he stars in the film. And so it's really interesting seeing how as soon as he turns around and she, sh- he, she shoots him three times in the back and you see her kind of contemplate because you can, you can hear him and see him kind of like lying face down. You can hear his like, gurgling noises of of blood kind of in his throat and you can see that she's kind of contemplating and deliberating what she will do and there's this point where she I mean she grew fond of the guy you know they had like a really fucked up friendship and obviously when she goes to check up on him because she still has a life like a sense of you know humanity in her she also gets shot in the stomach by him when she turns him around they both die by the hands of each other i think that it's kind of poetic in a way because the ending was fascinating like it was beautiful like you you you've seen it like the part where she like puts like she splices in a part in um, a part of her stuff that she recorded into the film reel of the movie who wants right? to send a message to germany i know and then you can just see her large beautiful face kind of in this like like this huge projected like movie screen and you know like people obviously don't expect it and then the you know the cinema's burning and there's mass hysteria and all of the stuff that's happening and 
then she's like this is the face of Jewish vengeance and I was like oh my god I love her she's such a girl boss yeah it's uh, especially that scene it's very reminiscent of the realities of the holocaust which isn't really touched upon in this film it's it's a world war ii film it's not a holocaust film which is yeah. like yeah they knew that the holocaust was happening at this time in america like you even get it like in casablanca they mentioned con- concentration camps that was made in 1939 by seppos and you but in this role reversal the jewish vengeance she's locked them in a room and they are all going to like suffocate to death they're also getting shot by uh jewish members of the bastards mm, but yeah like it's it's just so beautiful because like i feel like the ending of like the reality of world war Two was that hitler just shot himself in the head mm. like people wanted to, sh- to kill him they wanted that satisfaction they, they wanted, wanted to vengeance. give him the mussolini treatment which yeah, is why but- hitler is sort of a soft spot because he got to take the easy way out Mussolini, you can make fun of him because he is the symbol of Italian fascism. First of all, Italians don't count. They are punchlines. They are literally punchlines in this film. It's like, do any of you speak a language other than English? Uh, we speak a little Italian. It's it's funny. It, it, Italians are funny, but German fascism never really got that completion of seeing the end to the man who inflicted his reign on them, his absolute terror. They never got that absolution. Mm-hmm. He never got any of the... Tri- he never went to any of the trials. He didn't even get, tri- he didn't even get tried. He would not he have gotten a trial, life. especially if he the Russians just... <laughs> got there like they were about to. That's true. That was that so true. And it, 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 it's because of the, I think the film kind of acts as this kind of moral catharsis where you get to see... A Jewish person kill him and it just feels so cathartic to watch and it's some it's a fantasy and it's a fantasy that is honestly I find it it's I think it's really poetic I love this film I, I I thought it worked really well what do you think oh I I love this film so much like as much as we shit on the soy boys of Tarantino you kind of uh, you gotta admit these are actually really well put together like the mm. score, the score for this film just lives in my head. I legitimately, it's amazing. the introduction to Donnie Donowitz is, is yes. just the best shit ever. And it goes for like almost a minute or maybe even over a minute of just him tapping the baseball bat in the tunnel and the rising music. It's, it's, it's really good. One of the things I love about Tarantino films, both the ones that I have seen, is that he is his his scores and the osts to all of his films are just such bangers mm-hmm. and they create such a, a like they create such a vibe as well and we all know that music is so important when it comes to creating or and establishing an overall theme or an overall kind of m- motif but also it creates that kind of feeling of being in a movie it's more immersive i believe yeah and like it's just so wonderful i i love his use of pop cultural music as well and music that is actually situated within the time it just it's the vibes man it's just the vibes yeah like this uh inglorious bastards and the blues brothers are two movies that you wouldn't think i associate with each other but i do because we both have blu-rays of them and i can always tell from any side of the house 
that somebody is watching it because at the end of the first scene in both of these films, the music just goes from basically non-existent to it just spikes. It blows out the fucking speaker. It's just like, it's so powerful. Also, we we got to do the obligatory like uh, talk about that first scene in the uh, dairy farm. Everyone always points that out as, well, Tarantino cucks always point that out as, like, such an amazing masterclass scene. And I don't know if I've seen it too many times or if it's just, it's not that tense, you know? Like, maybe I'm just dumb or I've seen it too much. I, as somebody who just rewatched it for the first time, uh, sorry, the second time today, I, it still gave me chills. Like, it, it's, it's purely Christoph Ward's performance. It was just the fact that like he switches from English to French and French to English so effortless, like effortlessly, and you don't expect it. I, I love how he's so fluent in French. He's like, oh yes, I've exhausted the extent of my French. Can we switch to English? And it's like that's really weird. Like he seems to be able to speak French really well, given that he's making excuses for not being able to speak French really fluently. And then it's like you find out because the family under the floorboards does not speak English, that he switches. He already knows they're there. Exactly. And it's that tension that's created because he knows that he, like they're there. You can, there's also shots like underneath the floorboards of the family who are like covering their mouths and it's dark and you know it. And then it's just, you see just kind of the fluid way that he moves around the frame as well he commands that presence of the camera it's crazy like he deserved that oscar my man's deserved that oscar i love the way that lapidite which is the farmer pulls out a small pipe a reasonable pipe and he and then Hans Lander is like, may I smoke too? And he pulls out the most obnoxious pipe. <laughs> Just the stupidest fucking thing you've ever seen. And it's like, this is a Nazi it's... who is about to slaughter or order the slaughter of an entire Jewish family. And he's smoking this mm. ridiculous fucking pipe. It was definitely like an innuendo of a dick measuring contest. I'm not going to lie. It's the BDE that he radiates. It's the BDE. But yeah, it's also the fact that like, when he just shoots the floorboard and kills the family. Oh, I feel that he definitely spared Shoshana's life. I feel like he was playing a game. Like, he knew that she was out of range for his pistol and he'd probably miss. But the way that he yells au revoir Shoshana, it's, and with the smile on his face, uh, he he knows he's playing. And that's what makes the later scene in the, in the diner just, not the diner, the restaurant, just so much more tense because it's like, has does he recognize Shoshana from before? And it's like, probably not, but he's he's really intelligent. And that's what I really love is Tarantino's way of creating a character. And this is Tarantino's favorite character that he has ever created is Hans Lander. Uh, just the way that he creates so much alternative, like so much alternative interpretation for the character's motivation and what they say and what they do, but it's still creating clear characterization. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, I love Hans Lander's character. He's just, he's just, yeah, he's such a baddie. Like you just hate him, but you also love to hate him because he's just, and he's, he's a fun villain to watch because you don't really know what he knows and you don't know what he'll do. And those villains are the best villains to watch. Mm. And 
you know, that scene in the restaurant was so tense. Like I was sweating. I my I was gonna have an anxiety attack at that point. Like I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, please, Shoshana, you better survive this, girly. You gotta survive this, man. You know, you girl boss too close to the sun. If if he starts killing you, you need you need to calm down. Um, yeah, he's and I love the way that he goes from this the ultimate nazi just a bad person he deserves to get the swastika carved into his scalp to yeah he's dr schultz in django unchained he, he just goes to just <laughs> this like this really charismatic dentist who aligns himself with a black man during slavery in i think it's the south mm-hmm. yeah and goes like toe-to-toe with leo dicaprio just the the versatility the acting i love that I really enjoy his character and I feel like with Tarantino he creates this kind of interesting historical revenge fantasy about the film that I really like. I was talking to my auntie about this film like a year ago or something and she's like I hate that film and I'm like it's one of my favorite Tarantino films and I'm like why and she's like it's not realistic and I'm just like it's it's like (laughs) yeah um and that's I had to think to myself, well, why do I like it? Because it is that fantasy. Like, alternate history is something I feel like is underrated when we talk about historical films. Because next to this, we have the film Downfall. You may not know it by name, but you know it by the Hitler meme where, where... it's the Hitler meme. Just... Yeah, I watched the entire film and he just like is screaming. You're just like, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's the one where Hitler just slowly loses his shit in a room in his bunker, like that meme. That's I watched that entire film, and I'm like, this is probably like historically accurate as we know it, but it's boring. And I feel like alternate history opens up opportunities to explore what if, what could this have looked like, and just also like you were saying before, like fulfill a fantasy, like. Of Jewish vengeance, although there was there was plenty of like Jewish vengeance occurring, like uh, multiple uprisings and fighting back throughout Europe, throughout the war and before the war even, and I feel like historical accuracy is overrated because if you make a historical film, there are going to it's either going to be boring as shit. Like let's let's just put that out there first. It's going to be boring as shit, or it's going to be nitpicked for not being historically accurate. And so I feel like this subgenre of alternate history opens you up to, you don't have to explain like the, to the nitpickers because it's like, fuck you, this is a different timeline. I think, again, it's that kind of revenge fantasy that we like to watch because revenge fantasies are like the best films. Like I, I, I genuinely adore it. it, See, it just... You should really watch Kill Bill then. <laughs> Yes, because I know it's for revenge, like, film. But the thing is, like, I love Lucy Lucy so much and I don't want her to die, okay? I love her. That's true. Yeah, that's it's true. true. It's we true. We do love Lucy yeah. Lou. Yeah. I, like, like, loving Lucy Lou is, like, my fucking personality trait. Like, I, if I take that away, I am not a person. Regardless, um, I think something that's really interesting, you're like, I have seen Django Unchained and I've seen The Hateful Eight. And... I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I've seen Glorious Bosses. Those are the only four Tarantino films I've watched fully. And something I've realized is that there's like this kind of weird aura of 
Western of the Western genre that Tarantino likes to pull from. He loves the Western genre. You can even hear yeah. it in the score in this. It's mm-hmm. very it feels very once upon a time in the West. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like as someone who doesn't know much about Tarantino, when you kind of notice the parallels between like a John Wayne film and you know, Tarantino, there's so much connections. And he definitely, again, he definitely pulls a lot of inspiration away from the Western film genre. And the Western is a very American, like, it is basically, like, the American film. When you think of American film, you think of Westerns. You think of, like, John Wayne. You think of, like, Clint Eastwood. All of these, like, cowboy characters. And so, obviously, in Inglourious Bastards, it's... It still has that kind of Western aesthetic that I really like to enjoy. And I guess it's also like that ultra violence and that's that exploitation of the bad guys, of the bad boys. Because mm, it's always good to kill Nazis. Yeah, of course. We support killing it's... Nazis on this channel. <laughs> we call it a channel. <laughs> but... Are we a YouTube channel now? We're a YouTube no, channel I mean, now. I'm going to have to say an extra like... social media at the end. <laughs> We're not a YouTube um, channel. <laughs> no, but like, obviously Nazis big bad, but I guess it fulfills that fantasy of like killing Nazis and the Western kind of fulfills that purpose because it's such like a lawless, very morally ambiguous genre as well. I was listening to a podcast about like the American frontier and the American West, and it's like, why? Uh, I don't know. I, I was like really <laughs> bored because there were no new podcasts like coming out. Like I'm just like I'm gonna go through this back catalog or some shit, and mm-hmm. like the amount of times it's like, yeah, he just shot and killed a guy, and like nobody arrested him for it. It's like what the fuck? And it's like there were just like straight up serial killers out there just having the fucking time of their lives. Like, Yikes. Yeah, like, it was just a lawless place. And I feel like during this time as well, in World War Two, I guess there was a lot of parallels with that. And obviously, I don't really I don't really know much about the Western. I don't really know much about World War Two. But all I know is that people died. A lot of people died. And a lot of people shot each other. Mm. Like, the concept of the West being lawless, what the bastards do is... Technically war crimes, but I don't know if they were war crimes at the time. I, I need to mm. check when the Geneva Convention came into effect. But, yeah. like, they... that That's that's not, like, pr- appropriate warfare. But then again, fuck those Nazi bastards. <laughs> the, the thing about, like, Nazism is that you can always make fun of them as long as you don't forget what they did. And as long as you hold sacred, not sacred, but as long as you hold importance and you acknowledge that these are people, they are genuine threats, they are becoming threats, they are rising again. And they are, yeah. As well as acknowledging the past, like people who are still alive right now, like lived through the Holocaust, probably not for, they won't be alive for much longer, but like. Yeah, they're still alive, and there's relatives of people who were alive during that time, like, still. So you got to be respectful of that, and you got to remember that what you're making fun of always has to come at the expense of the Nazis. It can't be at the expense of the people who died, and you have to be the right kind of person making that reference. You can't just be, like, some 
white, semi-alt-right fascists trying to be edgy, making a joke about Nazis. Like, this is a topic mm. where you have to be careful making a joke. But then again, you can always say, fuck that Nazi bitch. Unless you mean it literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't yeah. fuck that Nazi but... bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, again, like, the rise of the alt-right is scary. And the rise of fascism is yeah. quite scary. And it's something that is quite... Ri- something i'm really afraid to say it's freaking relevant and we've seen it even in australia even in melbourne like we like like the the anti-vaccine protests were like right alongside neo-nazis you guys are protesting alongside each other and you wonder why people associate you two together yeah it's really weird because this is one guy I'm not calling him a neo-Nazi, he's just an alt-right person. But I remember in Melbourne, there's this guy who wears a full gladiator costume and he walks around with a giant Southern Cross flag behind him. I think it's either Southern Cross or the Australian Navy flag. And he he just walks around with this giant flag and the flag is like... The wind is just hitting the flag and it's just hitting people's faces. And people are just like, what is this guy doing? And he's, I don't know, he's never really worn a sign, but he actually has associated himself with Melvin's alt-right figures. And it's scary because you see this guy just walking around and people don't really know what's going on. But he is like a symbol of the fact that it's a real thing and that we disassociate ourselves from the past a lot. We think, oh, Nazis, they, they don't exist anymore. Like, new Nazis don't exist. Like, this is just all, like, the media and they're just kind of, like, sensationalizing a lot of all of these topics. But in reality, they are right under our noses and that's scary. Like, it's scary. <laughs> I actually got told that when I was about 14... Uh, because I was discussing this very film. Appropriate topic for a 14-year-old, you know? (laughs) And I was uh, talking to one of my teachers, uh, and I said to him, you know, you you couldn't advertise this film with the swastika. Yeah, yeah. And he, like, pivoted it, and he was trying to tell me, you know, Nazis are actually coming back, and I'm like, there's no way Nazis are coming back, sir. You're full of it. And then, like, two years later, I was just like, oh my god, he's right, the Nazis are coming back yeah like we we knew this was happening and so yeah you're right we can't detach ourselves from the past entirely we have to we have to like be conscious that nazis are coming back yeah the nazis are coming back and they're they're wider and more prouder and they have a larger outreach due to social media and they work out so so it's like a nazi worked out today have you guys (laughs) no it's weird actually this is like a fun fact um is that the alt-right really love the outdoors they love the outdoors they love working out they love retaining that sense of purity and then you see us leftists (laughs) just just indoors just like making a podcast like yeah that'll show them making a podcast and we're just you are just unfit i cannot run a marathon but i know i know one of the alt-right guys probably can and look it's yeah, that's terrifying. And the fa- it's the fact that they love hanging out in the Grampians. Yeah, which is like, why did you come here to disrespect indigenous lands like that with your fucking bullshit ideology? But the thing is, I actually really genuinely am, you know, really happy that we actually have really good German representation from you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
Do you think your famous story about your ancestral ties to uh, Nazi Germany? Okay, Am I so to say that? <laughs> when, whenever I say, like, my grandma's German and she lived through World War II, I always have to preface... She was too young to remember it. She was too young for the Hitler Youth. This wasn't some Jojo Rabbit shit, okay? Like, oh my god. Um, she actually did see... Well, this was a story that was told to me about ten years ago, so it might actually not be entirely true, but apparently she did see her house burn down due to Allied bombing, which oh, is no. sad. Because uh, she lived in Hamburg, which is uh, very close to England, very good place to bomb, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But the infamous story you're referring to, and my favourite story, that really it's... encapsulates just this sort of what we were talking about, how the Nazi has to be the centre of the joke. Basically, one of my great uncles was a soldier at a death camp, and he gassed himself. And it's like, it's very sad for the people who knew him, who might be my grandma. I don't know if she knew him. But then again, fuck that Nazi bitch. <laughs> he was working it, it, at a death camp. Fuck him. How does it feel to have your ancestors tied to a Nazi that's when a Nazi that gassed himself? I mean, as, as, as he should. I think it's just legendary that you had a relative who had that happen to him yeah it's like Um, you could say my relative died in a death camp but that would be misleading because exactly it's he was a nazi (laughs) he kind of he was asking he deserved it also that's another thing that was such a weird jump in topic but the boy in the striped pajamas i hated that book because I hated the book, I hated the movie. I hated it because it was trying to make me sympathize with the death of a German child, meanwhile showing the the actual horror that was happening to a, the Jewish child, mm. and it was trying to make you feel sad for them both, and it was like, this mother... F- no, I'm not going to feel sad for them both. One of them's a fucking Nazi kid. I, I, be- I barely remember anything from that movie, thank God. But I remember not liking it, and I kind of, like, stopped watching halfway. It was really boring. Which... Oh, the book made me mad, because I was doing a bit of German at the time, and the way that the author was writing was so American. He was trying to imitate how he thinks a German child processes uh, German words. Uh, instead of saying Auschwitz, like, the in a monologue would say out with. That's, that's such an Anglophile way of processing the german language and it's like that's not how children that's not that's not how language works fuckhead like Mm -hmm. so i threw it across the room when i was done just because i was so mad and happy why'd you read it i i had to read it for school and they were teaching us about the holocaust dude (laughs) like do you really think this is gonna make us understand the holocaust i we oh, we were made to uh, read and watch Billy Elliot. So. Billy Elliot, that's the oh, that's the one about the, g- the ballerina, dancing, the dancing kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my school, Billy Elliot, they made us read. Was like, that about the Holocaust? No, it wasn't. It was about it was like England, and it was about toxic masculinity oh. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
It was really cool. It was really nice. And they also made us read, like, Animal Farm. We See, that's one of the ones I read for shits and giggles in high school. They didn't make us read that. I just did it. Same with 1984. Yeah, I read Animal Farm and I was like, I love this. And, you know, apparently you actually cannot name a pig Napoleon. In France, but just let yeah, m- watch France. them stop me. Exactly. That's... Where's that from? Where's that from? That's from The Gentleman. That is. That's how it's, I it's, it. um, it's Jeremy Strong just doing, like, the aggressive, like, head movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, like I said, it comes full circle. It's like, you can't name anything. And I was like, where did I hear that? And you're like, The Gentleman. I'm like, ah, there it is. <laughs> we start talking about Guy Ritchie again. Another fun fact, um, in the marketing of the posters, they took all the swastikas out because Germany... You can't have imagery of swastikas. So yeah. they took the swastikas out. So it's just a circle. Oh, actually. <laughs> okay, I have a fun fact and I have a little character rant. Which okay, one cool, do you cool. want first? Both. Okay, um, fun fact first and then the character rant. Okay, so the actor who plays um, the bastard, the German-born bastard who killed 13 Gestapo officers, Till Schweiger... Uh, he actually is a very famous and popular uh, German actor, and before this film, he would never wear Nazi uniforms, but he did in this one because he got to kill Nazis, which, respect, and also... Respect. Okay, little character rant for Donnie Donowitz. We talked earlier, he, okay. favorite favorite yeah. character int- introduction, the bear Jew. One of the... <gasps> yes. One of the scenes and plot lines cut from this film that made me really sad, I want this hypothetical film so much, is how he uh, got conscripted into the war. And on his bat that he bashes people's heads in with, you can mm-hmm. see there's writing on it. There was a deleted scene. It got uh, left on the cutting room floor or it was just never really filmed. Where he goes around his Jewish neighborhood and he goes to people who, whose relatives in Europe have gone missing because of the Holocaust, who they haven't heard of, and they wrote those names down on the bat. So that bat has the names of, I don't know if it's probably fictional, people who have presumably died or gone missing in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that, like, bro, that's such a good little character excerpt, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's a little, it's, fine as a fun factor but i want to see that like i want to see that aspect of violent jewish vengeance Mm. i know that like shutting nazis in a room and setting it on fire is pretty fucking violent but like the aggression with which they shoot like he shoots hitler in the face like he unloads multiple clips just into hitler's face which is so over the top it's over the top but satisfying (laughs) yeah it is it's like when you play Sniper Elite Three and you shoot, <laughs> you shoot, <laughs> you shoot Hitler's one testicle off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was really weird. But yeah, I did that. Sniper Elite Three, I did that. I, I would shoot. I would aim for his ball, but he only has one testicle. Okay. So I have a question. If yeah. you go, what, could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you do it? Yes. I don't think I would. Oh. Mostly because. I'm, Mm, of the hypotheticals of what would happen without Hitler like would somebody worse come up and be more competent 
Yeah, I I honestly do not know. It's too big brain for me right now because I only have like half a brain cell working today. Because Hitler was kind of a dumb bitch, and uh, you can quote me on that. <laughs> he's a dumb bitch. <laughs> he's smarter than me, but like he's a dumb bitch. I'm you're a dumb, a dumb bitch. bitch. He's a dumb bitch, and he's a dead mm. dumb bitch. So fuck that Nazi bastard. So that has been our obligatory Tarantino episode. If you liked this, go check out our other other episodes. If you like hearing from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, and Letterboxd, and Twitter. Uh, and until next time, uh, I've been Nick. And-